Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. This morning, uh, I'm going to jump into the word here. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 3. This morning, if you're taking notes, uh, my sermon title is The Momentum of Jesus. The Momentum of Jesus. And, And as we talk about momentum, that's a word sometimes that gets thrown around with ministry or life or whatever. And, and, I, and I want us to see this morning, one of the big things I want us to see is that momentum in the kingdom is going to look different than momentum in the natural. Momentum in the kingdom, momentum in the spiritual is going to oftentimes look different than momentum in the natural. And because we think about momentum as a physics term, and it basically is, is uh, the momentum, it's, it's the uh, the mass and velocity of an object as that object is moving. And so I actually thought about bringing a chair up here, but I, I didn't. Um, I was going to give you a little visual aid this morning. Uh, but if I, if I took a chair with wheels or a stroller or a cart, something, and I pushed it across the stage, that what, what would carry it till it stopped would be momentum, right? And so if you push it, now, if I push that chair, it would stop. If I put someone in the chair, it may be a little bit harder to push but as I pushed it and got it up to the same speed and let it go, it would, it would go farther because of its, uh, its momentum. You tracking with me? Momentum is what scares me on the interstate when I'm slowing my car down and I see that Mack truck behind me, right? Because he's got a lot more momentum that he has to slow down than I do in my, my car. Okay, if I, if I walk, uh, we've got, we have a slope floor here. If I walked up to the top of the slope floor and I rolled a beach ball down, it, it would roll down, momentum would carry it down. But if I went up there and I rolled, a, and, and it wouldn't scare you, but if I rolled a bowling ball down, that might break an ankle. Because, it, because of its weight, its mass, it would pick up more, but it may take longer to get going faster, but once it picked up speed, its momentum would be carrying it a lot faster and it would hit. Momentum is also, I love sports. Momentum, um, uh, which, uh, which by the way, basketball season is in full swing. We had, I went to both games on Thursday and Friday night and they were just tons of fun. So if you ever wanna come watch uh, some awesome high school basketball or junior high basketball, uh, come uh, see our CMA Conquerors play because uh, they're amazing, it was awesome. Um, but I love sports and I love um, that, that term too of momentum in sports. You ever heard that? Like they got the mo. Um, they got the mo and, it's, just, and, it, and it, it's weird how different big plays in a game can cause the game to shift and it can, it can turn a tide. All it takes sometimes is just one big play to completely turn the tide of a game. And I was watching, uh, I, was watching I, I, I got rebuked backstage uh, by Mama Kay. I went too hard on LSU in the first service. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna reel it back in. Pat, I'm gonna reel it back in just a little bit on this service, but I was watching, <laughs> I was watching the game and, um, of, of Alabama in LSU last night and it was, man, it was wild. It was back and forth and back and forth. And then all of a sudden Alabama got a stop and that stop created a lot of momentum for the team. And then they got a big hit, probably should have been a targeting call, but that's neither here nor there, it's already over, but they got a big hit and it totally shifted the momentum of the game and Alabama was in control. So it was kind of going back and forth. And you've, you've probably seen this if you've watched sports for any amount of time and you've heard commentators talk about it as well. Um, the momentum in a game. Um, also I think about if you've ever been to, um, like a major sports event and, or I guess even high school and college too, they have pep rallies before the game starts, right? What's that for? To get everybody excited about the game and get the players fired up, right? 
And they get, they get fired up so that they go in with some, uh, it's almost like they got momentum because they got, they've got people behind them cheering them on. This is so wild. This actually makes me think about the great cloud of witnesses. That's interesting. That's not in my notes, but that's free. We have a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on towards our finish. That's cool. Anyway, God bless you with that. Um, so, but, but, but the pep rallies and the mascots and the, and the band are trying to, they're trying to right, stir something up. They're trying to hype up their guys so that they go in with this momentum, uh, this attitude of like nothing can stop us, right? So um, I, as I was thinking about these terms and I was thinking about, um, okay, what, is, what, what would that look like in our own personal life? And I, and I, and I began to look and see, okay, like how did, how did Jesus approach this? Because we talk about momentum even in our own lives and in our jobs, and sometimes it just feels like things are rolling, right? Feels like things are going good. The kids are doing good. The job's going good. Staying busy, like everything feels like, and sometimes it just feels like you've got a natural mo to life and that it's just going really well. And then sometimes that momentum stops and things aren't going as well. And, and, and that's why I, I wanna look at tonight because sometimes, I, sometimes we, we get caught up in this, um, God, I obeyed you and so things should always go well for me. But momentum, what I want you to know this morning is that momentum in your spiritual life is not the same as momentum in the natural. And so let's look at this this morning. I wanna, obviously we wanna go to Christ and see how, the, I wanna look at patterns in his life this morning and how he approached Life And so if you go to Matthew chapter three, verse one, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. When he saw Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them, you brood of snakes. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe because we are descendants of Abraham. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But look at this here. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. He'll clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat in the barn, burning the chaff. And so like I look at John as, and, and, and John's story is in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it, it kind of shares a little bit uh, more detail here and there. But John was like that hype man for Jesus. He was like that, that, that pep rally, like getting ready for the game. He was, because he was saying, I'm not the guy, but the guy is coming and I'm here to make you ready. I'm here and say, repent of your sins because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. And crazy John, like how many of you here were here when I did the, um, uh, this was a long time ago, but I was, in the, I was in one of our first big Easter productions and I was um, John the Baptist. Some of you remember that? Yeah, just erase that out of your memory. But um, I was John the Baptist and I had to wear a long wig and makeup and, uh, and I had to run around and scream and shout and I had to wear like basically a burlap sack. It was very uncomfortable. Um, but I think about John the Baptist, like he really was that guy. He, John had every right to be 
uh, very wealthy. He was the son of a priest and he had every right to live a lavish lifestyle, but he chose to leave the richness, the lavish lifestyle that would have been offered to him and go live in the desert and live in the desert for like 20 years. And then all of a sudden the spirit tells him it's time. And so my guy's like eating bugs as they fly by. He's wearing this horrible clothing that's just just feels awful, letting his hair grow out crazy. And then like people start, or as they're walking, as they're traveling from town to town, he just starts screaming at them. Like, repent, the kingdom is at hand. I could do my lines for you if you want me to. But just start screaming at, repent, the kingdom is at hand. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming. And this caught people's ear because they would have known that he was the son of a priest. And they would have been like, wow, he's dressed crazy. He looks like a nut job. Also, he's screaming about a Messiah. He's telling us to repent of our sins. And then he's offering this this new baptism, this baptizing water and, and that it's atonement for our sins. And so like this got people, this got the people going, like this is drawing crowds so much so that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the, of the <clears throat> Jewish religion are coming out and asking him questions like, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he was like, no, but he's coming after me. And so John, and John didn't baptize just a few people. He baptized a lot of people tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Some theologians believe that John and his disciples baptized close to a million people. Not a small ministry, a huge ministry. And he's got the people overly aware of, they can't, they can't hold up the law, they can't walk that out, overly aware that they're fallen and broken, and overly aware that the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming, the one that we've been promised about. And then one day, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he stands up and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come on, man. Paul says, If that doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Behold, got a lot of wet wood in here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So people are going, Wait, you've been talking about atonement. And you've been talking about a covering and you've been talking about repentance and I'm overly aware of all of these things that I'm struggling with and these things that I can't do and I'm overly aware that I can't hold up, I can't live under the law, like I can't walk all of that out and now you're saying that guy is gonna take away all of those things? He's gonna take away my sins? Woo! Hey! And then just for sake of time, Jesus steps into the water, gets baptized by John, the heavens rip open. The Holy Spirit descends in dove form, lands on Jesus. The Father speaks audibly and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Hey, dude, John talked about him. We got everybody stirred up. There's a lots of people here that have seen this. The Father spoke over him. Let's get this thing rolling. But nope, that's not what happened. The Spirit comes and drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. But they had the momentum. They had all of the things going for them. They had the crowd and they had the forerunner and they had the, the audible voice of God and they saw the dove and they had it going. Overthrow Rome. Start your ministry. Save us. And the Spirit says, nope. Go to the wilderness. What do you do when it feels like the momentum in life just totally runs out? Hey, what do you do? Because I want you to see what the devil told Jesus when he gets to him. In Matthew chapter 4, 
Verse 3, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 40 days, he was hungry, but I want you to see, to see right now is that the temptation was not to get bread. The temptation was to question who he was. What does the devil start with? If you are the son of God. I know you just did that little thing with John, right? And the father spoke to you and all this, but look where you're at, dude. You don't really believe that. So if you're the son of God, prove it. But I love what Jesus says. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What was the last word that Jesus heard out of the mouth of God? You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. And listen to me this morning. When the father made that declaration over Jesus, Jesus had accomplished nothing. He had lived hidden for 30 years in Nazareth. Nobody knew who he was until that moment. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead. He hadn't healed anybody of leprosy. He hadn't preached any messages. Hadn't even opened his mouth about who he was yet. And the father said, you're my son with whom I am well pleased. And that is what creates momentum in your spiritual life. When you are properly identified because God speaks the same thing over you and I this morning. Hear me. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Well, the father was saying that to Jesus, not to me. You go to John 17 and the father said, Lord, I know you love them like you love me. Hey, listen to me. And that is how you have to be identified. That you are his child and with whom he's pleased. Not because of things that you've done. Because I think what, what happens a lot of times in believers is we become like Peter. Peter, do you ever read the Gospels and get annoyed by Peter? I do. Like, have you ever been annoyed with somebody in real life and you're like, you're just waiting, like somebody tell that guy off, like please. And then when it happens, you're like, yes. No, just me. I know y'all are so holy. Y'all don't think those thoughts. Yeah, yes. Somebody told him off or whatever. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I'm like, yeah, tell him, Jesus. Because he just opens his big mouth all the time. God bless him. Y'all, some of y'all are like, I can't believe you would say that about Peter. All right. Peter's not my favorite character. Jesus is. So um, anyway, even in the show, y'all watch The Chosen. I'm not... Obviously, some people have issues with it, but I think The Chosen is amazing. Peter gets on my nerves so much in The Chosen, too. It's like, he always talks, and he's trying to do stuff or whatever, and Jesus is like, dude, chill, man. Stop. Stop, man. Just, you're too much. You ever want to tell people that? You're too much. Stop. So, but Peter, when, that, when Jesus was beginning to say, like, what was going to happen to the Son of Man, Peter said, I'll never let anybody. I'll die for you. Right? And then when they come to get him in Gethsemane, he cuts the guy's ear off. Peter, man, come on. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you've got, you've got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and Peter's like, well, let's build something for you. It's like he always wanted to do, 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 do. And Jesus kept having to tell him, like, no, dude, like, stop. We're not doing these things. We're not doing these things. Peter's got this huge heart. Man, he loves Jesus so much. And he was the first one to deny him. Why? Because Peter was identifying himself by how much he loved God. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to love God a whole bunch, but Peter was finding his identity in what he was doing for the Lord or what he was willing to do for the Lord. 
And that will not carry you through in life because you will never feel like you've done enough. You will always feel like you're trying to earn affection and attention, listen to me, that you already have, regardless of what you've done or not done in this life. Because this is true love, 1 John. Not that we love God, but that he loves us. And then you look in the Gospel of John and you see he never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Not the disciple who loves Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loves. And who was the last man standing that never left him, that followed him all the way to the cross? John. Everybody else was gone. Everybody else deserted him, denied him, don't know him. But John was there because John knew how loved he was. John knew how loved he was. Do you this morning know how loved you are? Do you know how loved you are? Because I think we try to create momentum in our own life by doing Doing, 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 doing. And I'm not saying the doing is bad, but you're not saved from good works. You're not saved by your works. But when we are saved, good works flow out of that. But John's works flowed out of being a place of properly identified is this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You go to the mountain of transfiguration in Matthew 17, Jesus is on the mountain. The father speaks audibly again. And it's like, man, if the father is speaking to the son audibly only a couple times, give us something, like tell us a little bit more, right? But the father says the same thing. After he had accomplished most of what he was supposed to accomplish, what does he say? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And I think the father adds on to the end of it, listen to him, just for Peter. <laughs> I'm kidding, but, but the one thing he adds on is listen to him, listen to him. Listen to him. Are we listening to him? Are we listening to his words? Are we listening to what he says about us? Because we see that Jesus, a couple times he says, I don't do anything I haven't seen the Father do. And I don't say anything I haven't seen the Father say. And you look at the pattern of Jesus's life and every time he got a big following, every time he got a big crowd, every time things were going really well, he ran away from them. He thought so differently oftentimes than we do even in the church sometimes, right? Shout your testimony from the rooftop. How many people did Jesus say, hey, don't tell anybody? Ooh, right? Because oftentimes when we shout and tell everybody, it's really about look at me instead of look at him. I'm not against sharing your testimony, but I know that our motives can be twisted. So you look at, look at let's look at the pattern a little bit of Jesus' life. So, after he leaves the temptation, he begins to get some followers. They catch a lot of fish. Cool things are happening. Miracles are happening. Does the, he does the wine thing at Cana. Really cool. And so he's done a few things. He's done, he's done enough to get the attention of the religious leaders. And Nicodemus comes to meet with him. A leader of the Sanhedrin. Like big time. Think, think like big time pastor that everybody knows. Comes to meet with him. And Jesus has this meeting with him in the middle of the night has this meeting with him, and Jesus never reveals to Nicodemus who he is. He always refers to himself in third person with Nicodemus. He doesn't come right out and say, this is me. But I'm like, dude, he said out of his mouth, we know you're from God. We know you couldn't do these things if God wasn't with you. 
And then he goes in and begins talking about himself in third person. You go to the end of chapter three and it says that John's disciples, John the Baptist, come to him and say, hey, all of your disciples are leaving and going and following Jesus and they're baptizing more people than us now. Remember, not a few people baptized, lots of people baptized. Dude, you've got a religious leader who you could come right out and say who you are. You've got lots of people being baptized, but what does he do? He hears about it. He leaves all of that to go meet with one woman. Hey, he leaves all of that to go meet with one woman. And I want everybody in this room to know that he will come and meet with one person. He will come and meet with you this morning. He's not got so much going on that he will not come and find you and sit with you and be with you. I think sometimes we think he's God and he's busy and he's got big crowds and he's got things to do, but he will come meet with one woman. He will come meet with one man. And not just any woman, he met with a Samaritan woman. Met with a Samaritan woman that had been living in sin. Came and met with her, didn't keep him far away. Some Jews hated Samaritans so much they would walk around Samaria, not Jesus. He came right into her life and completely flipped it upside down. Then things get going again. Ministry gets going again. Heals the man who was invalid for 38 years in John chapter 5. Starts to do some miracles again. Things get going, get some crowds. You go to John chapter 6. How many people does he feed? 5,000? Men? Not counting women and children. So you could say 25, 30,000 people. Feeds all of them. That's a big crowd. Many people believe this was the peak of his ministry. And then what does he do after he feeds them? Runs away from them. They chase him down for three days. Three days they're looking for him. They come and find him. And he steps up to him and he says, you're coming after me because I gave you a free meal this time. Here's the only meal you're going to get this time. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. He who has an ear, let him hear. And he turns and leaves. We know what he was talking about because we have what he told his disciples and we've got 2,000 years of teaching on it. Right? We got the rest of the New Testament. But he does not tell these people what he's talking about. He just says, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no part with me. He who has ears, let him hear. See ya. And listen to me. This is free nugget for you. I think sometimes we're looking for somebody who will dumb something so down for us. And if the pastor doesn't have a one, two, three, and an A, B, C, and they all start with the same letter, then I'm not going to... Sometimes there's going to be things said to you that you don't quite understand in the moment. It says from that moment, many of his followers never followed him again. Many of his disciples, they scattered like flies. So many people were leaving that Jesus turns to big mouth Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? And here's what you need to know today. He would have been okay if they did. He would have been okay with they did. Are you okay if everybody leaves you? Are you okay if you don't get the momentum? If you don't get the promotion? If you don't get the money? If you don't get the influence? If you don't get the ministry? If you don't get the whatever? Are you okay if you don't get it? If the purpose or the destiny or the dream or the calling doesn't come like you thought it would come, are you gonna be okay? So my question this morning, is Jesus enough for you? The Father was enough for Jesus. The Father was enough for Jesus. Is he enough for us this morning?
even if it feels like all the momentum is gone, because many times it will feel like the momentum in the natural dies. But the momentum right here can be through the roof. You can be caught up in the third heavens and it doesn't matter how many people are following you or how many people love you or how many people have rejected you. Doesn't matter how big the crowd is or how big the, the, the house is or how big the car is or how big the paycheck is. It doesn't matter how many, because you're good right here. Why did Jesus keep leaving and going to be with the Father? He was showing us the secret of life, the secret of momentum. Some of us have got to settle today that this, if this is all there ever is in my life, this is all there ever is. I meet people sometimes that are so blinded by their dreams that they cannot see that their dreams are sitting with them at the dinner table. They're so blinded by what they want to accomplish and strive and do for the Lord that they can't see that, man, it's your wife. It's your kids. It's your husband. It's who's right in front of you right now. I'm in youth ministry a lot, my youth ministry all the time, and one question that drives me crazy is when youth pastors ask me, how many kids are y'all running? What does that have to do with anything? Maybe it's three. I don't care if it's three or 300. I'm gonna be faithful to what God has called me to tell them and how he's called me to disciple them. And if that causes them, you know, you do, you know what it takes to have a big youth group? One thing, money. That's all it takes? Money. Why? Because money, you can buy pizza. You can buy candy. And you can pay the best band in town to come put on a show for them. But I am not interested in young people coming in and encountering the, big, the best band in town. I'm interested in them coming in and encountering the presence of God. And if that causes many of them to leave and never come back, so be it, because I'm not going to dumb it down for the ones who are hungry. Do you hear me? Okay? So... My identity is not going to be found in how good this sermon goes. It's not going to be found in how many people show up on Sunday morning. It's not going to be found in how many youth show up on Wednesday night. It's not going to be found in how many people come to fall retreat. My identity can't be in those things because if it is in those things, then it will never be enough. Your identity can't be in how much influence you have, how many followers you have, how much money you're making, how the business is going. What if it never gets any bigger? Well, God, you said, did he? Did he really say it? Or is he waiting for you to settle in your heart that he is enough? He is enough. Are y'all getting something out of this? In John chapter seven, Jesus' brothers come to him and say, get out of Judea, man. You gotta go to Jerusalem. Get out of Galilee. Get out of these small towns. You got to go somewhere where you can be famous. They literally say that in John 7. Go somewhere where you can be famous. And he tells them, nah, I'm good. And he actually goes secretly to this festival that they go to in Jerusalem. And on the last day in John chapter 7, he says, if anybody is thirsty, come unto me and I will give you a true drink. Is anybody need a drink this morning? Not that kind of drink. I know where some of your minds went. <laughs> Jason, <laughs> you started laughing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But do you, do you need a drink from a living well this morning? Do you need rest? Oftentimes, restlessness and unsatisfaction is because we have not stayed in 
the secret place with him. That we have gotten away from what first set us on fire. Why did Paul tell Timothy, fan into flame the gift? What's the gift? The Holy Spirit that God has put on the inside of you. Fan into flame. How do you fan it into flame? You get in, you shut the door, and you ask him to fill you with the Spirit. You ask him to give you more. One of the saddest things that I hear <clears throat> is that when someone who is older than me or who has been saved longer than me or, you know, whatever, is when they come to me and they say, man, when I was young like you, I was passionate too. That's my greatest fear. That's my greatest fear is that my fire would wane because I want to be burning brighter when I'm 54 than I am at 34 and at 74 than at 54 and at 93, 94 than I am right now. How come Miss Hetty hasn't waned? Because she fans the flame in the secret place. She opens the word. She asks for more of the spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a continual filling. How do we know? Because, you, because drunk people don't stay drunk unless they keep drinking. Jason knows all about it. I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're all going to think you're an alcoholic now, Jason. <laughs> Sorry. Jason is one of the greatest men that I know. I love Jason. He changed my life when I was in high school. I'm just, I'm just messing with him this morning. <clears throat> Drunk people don't stay drunk. We don't stay filled. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives on inside of you, but there is a measure of responsibility that we have to go and position ourselves and say, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you. I need more of you. A lot of us come with our tithe and our offering and we want more of you, God. But it's a lot easier to tithe our resources than to give him time. Is it not? It's a lot easier to give our resources than it is. And so we've got to see what, cre what carried Jesus. What was the momentum that caused, that caused him to go all the way to the cross obediently? What was the momentum that carried him? It's because he kept getting away from everybody and going to be alone with the Father. That's not something for young people when they first get saved. That is something that we are supposed to constantly live in relationship with him constantly live it never gets old and people you can't have the mindset of oh yeah like i know that no this is, i want to stir something up on the inside of you because there's more available to everybody in the room this morning there's more available to you this morning you think you know peace now get ready you think you know joy now get ready there is a measure that's coming but it only comes to those who have prepared themselves for it there is a weight of his glory that is coming this Bible says that we have access to a lot more than we're seeing right now. And I refuse to settle for cute church services. I refuse to settle for an excellent praise band. I refuse to settle for cute sermons with funny illustrations. I refuse to settle for those things. So what are we going after? They would pull the sick out so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. And it wasn't his shadow, it was his presence, man. It was just that he was so full of the Holy Spirit that it was coming out of him. There's a greater measure available. There's a greater measure available. I don't want to settle for things. 
I want to keep going after what God says is possible. Anything is possible to he that believe. Signs and wonders will follow those that believe. How do we stir up belief? We get into the secret place and we ask him to build our faith, to fill us with our spirit. Come on. Sometimes, sometimes when it doesn't look like you're gaining momentum, you are. I believe that God has been getting ready, our church ready for a great move of the Spirit, and He's been positioning things. You don't build a house overnight. You don't build a house overnight. God has been structuring things in our church and with people and with lives and with families so that He can fill us with a greater measure. Do you hear? And listen, are you okay? Are you okay with, I just get to build it for the next generation? Because momentum in the kingdom is not about my personal destiny. It's about legacy. It's about legacy. You think about men in this book. Noah spent a hundred years building a boat that eight people got to take a ride on. Golly, a hundred years doing the same thing that eight people got, only eight, and they were his family. Abraham never owned an acre in the promised land, but to him, he owned it all. Ooh, what if we walked around like that? What if you don't own one acre in hot springs, but you walk around like it's all his and it's all gonna be his, even if you don't see it in your lifetime, the next generation is gonna inherit it because we raised them up in the way that they should go. And when they were older, they didn't depart from it. They went and got more ground and more ground and more ground and more ground. Hey, and then when you pass on, you get to join the great, great cloud of witnesses and spur them on. Glory. Moses was 80 before he went back to Egypt. Joshua was around 60 when he took over. Jesus lived in obscurity. The Son of God lived unknown for 30 years to have a three-year ministry to get 120 people in an upper room. The Son of God only was able to get 120 people in the upper room. Revealed himself resurrected to a group of 500 and only 120 went to the upper room. Friend, do not base your success on how much money or how many people. Don't base your success on that. Success is so much greater than that. Success is so much more than that. Base your success on how you're doing in the secret place. Are you being faithful and obedient to abiding in him? Come on. There's something that's necessary for momentum. It's called force. It's called force. How do we get in a state of perpetual momentum? Not just maintaining momentum, but I want to gain momentum. How do I move that way from 34 to 54? I've got to fan the flame. I've got to grow brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and not be concerned about how far it gets me in life. Can I tell you this this morning? You are not responsible for your progress. You're only responsible for your pace. You're only responsible for your pace. Can you hear that this morning? And everybody in this room, we all have exactly as much Jesus as we want. We have exactly as much as we want. So how do we, 
grow in a greater measure. Dude, just set your eyes on him. Run your race. Paul says, I forget what lies behind and I press on towards the goal. I press on towards the prize. What is that? That prize is him. That prize is Christ. That prize is Jesus. And if, it, and if it picks up some people along the way or it picks up some things along the way, awesome. And if it doesn't, awesome. Why? Because they're not the prize. Seek ye first the kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. What things? Who cares? Because he's the prize, not them. Do you hear me? None of those things are gonna satisfy your heart like he satisfies your heart. The reason that we settle for inferior things is because, well, like I was talking about worship, is that we, re we retreat away from him. He's not inconsistent, we are. He's faithful, we're the unfaithful ones. And I don't mean this in any condescending or condemnation way in any wall. I wanna spur something up on the inside of you and tell you, get as close as you can, man. Get as close as you can because he is amazing. He doesn't want you to just know about him, but to know him, to experience him, to encounter him. <sighs> to encounter him. To encounter him. Supernaturally encounter him. I live under a greater covenant than Moses. And Moses talked to the Lord as one talks to a friend face to face. Think about all that Moses had seen and he still asked God, show me your glory. What if that was our heart cry? Every day, you get, you get to work early, you're driving to work. Sometimes I wouldn't suggest doing it while you're driving to work because you might have a wreck. I'm kidding. And you just ask God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, I want more of you, Lord. What if that was our heart cry? Luke 11. If anybody asks, he'll give the Holy Spirit. He'll give a greater measure. There's more for you. There's more for you. There's a greater encounter. There's a greater measure available to everybody in the room. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and it means wait. 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 Not like wait on him, but like how much you weigh. How do I know that God is real? Not because I read a book about him. Not because somebody stood up and told me about him, but because I feel him here. Because I've encountered him in a secret place. Because I've seen his face. Those eyes that burn like fire. That hair that's white as wool. I've heard the voice that sounds like many waters. And you can think I've lost my mind and that's okay. You can stay right where you're at. But the weight of God's glory crushes the weight of anything else that would come against you. The weight of his glory, a lot of you are weighed down by anxiety and you don't, need, you, you don't need to take a medication for it. You just need to get in his presence where the weight of his glory begins to crush that thing off of you. A lot of you are burdened down by depression. Let the weight of his glory break that off of you. How do chains break, how do chains break off of your life? You let the weight of his glory break off of you. Well, I, I just got to try really, really, really hard to overcome this temptation. No, you don't. Trying harder is not going to do it for you. 
You have to get into the presence, get close to the all-consuming fire, the one that is going to burn those things out of you with the weight and measure of his glory that is available to you. And he will become so irresistible that you'll begin to have the heart of David that said, the one thing that I asked, the one thing that I long for, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty all the days of my life, inquire about him in his temple. Come on. I think I'm done. I'm over time. Y'all stand with me. Let me pray for you. There's more available, church. There's more available. I believe that we can all steward his presence to such a degree that we begin, we begin to walk into stores and we come, in, we come in contact with people and they begin to weep and they begin to tell you their whole life story and they'll say things to you like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I don't, I, that's, that happens there all the time. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I do. It's the fear of the Lord. I believe that we can steward the presence of God to such a degree that people walk in this room and we don't have to have a healing service. We don't have to lay hands on you. It's just that he's here. He's here. And where he is, sickness can't be. There's more. Can we prepare our hearts for it today? If you need healing real quick, I just want to pray for it. Raise your hand. If you need healing, any part of your body, Somebody got a hand up around you, lay hands on them right now. We're going to receive what we have, what has been paid for. I call these bodies into alignment with heaven right now in Jesus' name. In heaven, there is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no cancer. We rebuke all those things in Jesus' name. I command backs, necks, ankles, knees to come in alignment with heaven right now. By your stripes, we are healed. Come on, declare it right now. If you're the one that needs healing, by your stripes, Lord, I am healed. Declare it right now. It's your inheritance. It's given to you. By your stripes, Lord, I am healed. I believe somebody right now in their heart, they're thinking, well, I, well, well it's because of my diet or it's because of my whatever. It's because of whatever. He forgives all. 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 And maybe you have eaten your way into it. And maybe it's a consequence that you've received by that, but right now the Lord is going to show you his goodness and we're, that thing's going to be driven out of you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I also pray over the mental health of everybody in the room and we're at a bad place with mental health because of what, oftentimes because of what we do because we are consuming so many things that are not of the kingdom and it is messing with our mental health. We are staring at our phones for hours of day on social media and it is messing with our mental health and we have received it by way of our own consequences but right now the Lord in his goodness is coming into those minds and he's making them whole. He's coming into those minds and those hearts and he's making you whole. And by his goodness, he's going to wash all of that anxiety and all that depression off right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, no more. No more. No more. If you're married and your spouse is in the room, I want you to grab their hand. If you're married and your spouse is in the room, grab their hand. And if, they're, if you're married and they're not here, just act like they're here in spirit. Just see him in the spirit right now, standing next to you, holding your hand. God, I pray restoration over these marriages right now. In Jesus' name, 
anything that people can't see. In Jesus' name. Those things are going to wash off right now. In Jesus' name. We're going to quit being selfish right now because we have seen you, Lord. And we're going to walk out of here. And we're going to lay ourselves down for our spouse like, like you laid your life down for us. In Jesus' name. And the greatest witness and testimony of our church is going to be marriages. Where husband and wife are madly in love with each other. Where every day is a date. Where every day is a date. And every day is amazing. And Lord, I just ask that they would begin to fall in love all over again. Take them back. Take them back to that first love encounter. That first, that first date. That first, even if it's been 50 years, take them back, Lord. May they fall in love with each other all over again. I just see new joy and peace filling homes right now because mom and dad are one. Mom and dad are one again. If you've got a prodigal, if you've got a prodigal, grandchild or child, I want you to see them in the spirit right now. Not in the spirit as they are, but in the spirit home. 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 And when I say home, I don't necessarily mean your house. I mean home with the Lord, with their hands lifted high in their secret place. I want you to go on a walk with them right now. And just begin to declare over them, the devil thought he had you. Woo! But Jesus said, you're mine. Lord, we call them home right now. We lose the power of your Holy Spirit to convict their hearts, to remind them who they are, that they are your sons and your daughters, beloved of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. And they, they would fall in love with you all over again. They would come home. And they would be met with grace and open arms and kisses when they'd begin to walk in their identity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're so good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your kindness and your grace. We thank you for your love. Lord, don't ever let it just be just another Sunday, God. It's never just another Sunday. It's a time that we get to gather and we get our love stirred up for you. We get to gather and we get to fan each other's flames. We get to call each other up higher. Come up here so you can see what must take place after this, that we would leave this place burning bright for you, that this meeting would fuel our own encounters with you, that our corporate gathering would fuel our private devotion to you, and then our private devotion would fuel our corporate gathering again. God, we love you. We're so thankful. We're so thankful that we are satisfied in you and you alone. Thank you, Jesus. Go before us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.